0: Another series with a fiery preseason. Welcome to the Formula E 2024 season preview on Motorsport 101. We had to get that one in somewhere. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 493 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbourhood host, Dre Harrison. Glad you could join us for season preview season. If it sounds like we only just re- finished season review season, you'd be right to think this. Yes. No, 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 no. <laughs> we don't we, we, we don't. get an off-season in motorsport anymore. We're now no, like, on... <laughs> (laughs) you're on the clock all year round and as we have to peel RJ O'Connell off the sofa to to record yet another season preview for something Welcome to our 2024 Formula E season preview for the next couple of hours. We're going to break down all we can into the 2024 Formula E, all the nooks and crannies and all the runners of riders. And we got a four person booth on this occasion. We came extra prepared on this occasion. Let's introduce the usual first. Uh, first up, Mr. Cam Buckley, who's currently coming to you live from under three feet of snow.
1: Uh, yes, it is uh, the winter wonderland outside, which is to say, oh, my God, it's been snowing nonstop for the last 12 hours. Coming to you
2: live from Frappe Snowland? <laughs> no, no, no. OK, can we compromise at Sherbert land. What's the fact? I'll, I'll think
1: about it. I'll, I will think about it. Uh, yeah, it is. It's crazy outside. So if I disappear halfway through this podcast, you can probably understand why.
0: Yeah, a, a a snow-based meteor has taken out the electronics in Cam's house. Um, oh. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but uh, you never know. Yeah, climate change is a motherfucker. Also, we have RJ O'Connell. Hello, RJ. How's it
2: going, mate? I just wanted to sleep in. It's it's a Sunday. I've no I've nowhere to go. But instead, I got to get dragged off the couch. Into my, with my hot cocoa and my slippers, barely prepared to go talk about some electric zip-zap race cars, which, by the way, are less efficient in the cold. Fun fact.
0: Yeah. I actually find it amazing that we're doing this and the season starts six days from now, at, at time of recording. Like, this came around quick. It is really wild how, like, preseason <laughs> feels like it was three months ago, because it kind of was. Yeah, um, <laughs> with how this has all turned out. Week number four. but uh, we got a special guest joining us again on the motorsport 101 podcast you may know them as the host of the motion e podcast which i've been on uh before it's a fantastic time and a friend of the show and all-round swell person sasha garnick is back hello sasha how's it going my friend
3: Hey there. It's great to be here again. Thank you. And um, I've, I've got to say in response to Cam, um, I know all about being snowed in. Um, they are forecasting um, that it'll feel like minus 35 on your face here in Tallinn, Estonia. So I'm I'm with your brother
1: on that. Definitely. Why, why do we live where the air hurts our faces? <laughs> I, I think it's
3: something to do with liking the motor racing teams and drivers that we do. We, we are just masochists um, of some description. Um and the the, the other th- the other thing I would say is that uh, thank you, Dre, for the introduction. Um, I, I do host the Motion E podcast, but it's going to be called the Motion Podcast this year because, as as I found, there are just so many motorsports to cover.
0: Uh, uh, we can't relate to that story whatsoever. says people that cover four series full time with occasional sports cars sprinkled in and je- and racing in Japan too for good measure. We have no idea what you're talking about here on the Motorsport 101 Network.
2: No, um- <laughs> we, we're, we're diversifying so much. We got people barking over lead to cover like dirt track racing all around the United States. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Hardy. Um, anyway, um, yes, we'll we'll, we'll we'll over the next couple of hours we'll try and make as much sense as we can about the Formula E 2024 season Um, we're getting some of the big stuff in just a moment but first season places you can find us Uh, we are on uh, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 we're on instagram and motorsport101 hope you've been enjoying the video highlights that have gone up recently thanks Gloria for helping to edit them Um, you all star you Um, we're on our website as well motorsport101.com where you can get uh, written content as well but some extra stuff by yours truly um, as well as all All of our episodes and content on there as well. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport1015 bucks gets you early access to all of our content before it goes live to the public. And you can upgrade to the $10 tier to get uh, Supporters Club access to our Discord server and the ability to listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded, as Kiera and Jason are doing so right now in our Riverside chat room. Hi, guys. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Uh, As always... Um. Also, uh, Sash, tell the people where they can find you as well, because we always plug the guest on this show. It's it's it's, 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 po- it's guest policy.
3: <laughs> well, um, thank you. I, I mean, obviously, um, X, formerly known as Twitter, has been a farrago for for quite a while now. So, I, I'm kind of shifting my social media presence around. But the, the best place to go by the time this podcast goes out, which is in a couple of days, I imagine. Yes. Um, Uh, from the moment when we're recording will be uh, motionracing.media. That's all one word, motionracing.media, and uh, I'll put all my links there.
0: Yep. For, yeah, give Sash a little bump from us. Um, they do a fantastic job um, over there on their show. One of the wisest heads you can have in a a series of chaos that is and we've <laughs> as we've often described on this show over the years. And 2024 looks no different. If you want to follow us on uh, Elon Musk's failed investment, you can follow us all personally at Drake Harrison 101 <laughs> for me, <laughs> at C. Buckley 917, and at RJ O'Connell for RJ. And of course, the pod itself is Motorsport underscore 101 as well let to get that in there in the early parts right without further ado let's get into our 2024 formulary e season preview right after this cool. Okay, everybody, let's cover some of the big news that uh, has we, that the series has had to share, talk about, explain, not explain between the end of last season, which is weird to say was six months ago. Um, and now as we head into the season starting in just six days time in Mexico City, there's a few I- big ones we want to
2: cover. Well, first off, Trey, the, the season starts in six days and I haven't heard about it at all.
0: <laughs> you, it's like Formula e decided oh shit we've got a season that starts in two weeks time and only started really ramping up their social media presence like a week out the to the influencers must have been caught in transit or something um, I have no idea what you're talking about Dre like don't worry he will um, but um, let's let's cover some of the big stuff first one is and you know I'd argue this is probably the biggest likely on-track on change we're going to see in 2024, and that is going to be the in-race fast-charge pit stop. Dot, dot, dot. Sort of. Um, they were meant to debut at the start of last season. That didn't work out. They've been kicked back a year. We thought they are going to debut this weekend in Mexico City coming up. And it still isn't finalised and finished yet. They've like according to Formula E news in Germany, um, they're not going to debut till Misano at the earliest. We'll get into the calendar shortly. <laughs> Misano is round six on the calendar, and that's not till literally a couple of weeks into April. Um, so yeah, that's that's the state of play on that now. Uh, I'll read you out a quote here, and this comes from Roger Griffiths, who is the managing director at Andretti's uh, Formula E team, Andretti Global, the newly renamed team, so to speak, which kind of sums up the situation quite well, I think. He said, and I quote, We haven't done much testing on it. We simulated, I guess, the movements of doing the attack charge just to get an understanding of the strategic element. I think what's probably not that well known is that there are many aspects to the attack charge which we have to tick the boxes on. There's the technology. Is it robust? Is it reliable? Is it going to function every single time? There's the sporting element, how the regulation's going to work. Is it going to work well on a long track? Is it going to work well on a short track? There's a lot to be done. I would have to say it's probably come a little later than we would have been super comfortable with. Optimism!
1: (laughs) That That
2: doesn't sound like it's glowing with confidence, does it? No, I really I... just don't want. I don't want to talk about open wheel championships, delaying groundbreaking technological advancements in the series for once in this podcast. Sasha, where do you come down on this? Because it's we're we're getting to that point where we're just like, okay, fast charging's coming, whether you love it or you hate it, it's coming. But it's we're just kicking it down the can a little bit.
3: So, I think anyone long in the tooth enough to remember when Formula One brought in refuelling stops again in 1994 will know that. Whenever a formula messes around with the pit stop system um, or brings in pit stops, in this case, uh, it, it is partly to spice up the racing on the track. And um, I, I think there is a hope that fast charging will bring in an extra variable um, that, it, you know, as was the case with attack mode and fan boost before that will, will spice up the racing. I think that uh, the reason it's been delayed until Misano is partly because Misano is a permanent circuit, meaning that uh, that there's there's just a lot more infrastructure and real estate space to, um, to to actually have the stops to you know iron out any errors, which which there will be because it's the first time that they've used it in anger. Um, the problem that we're going to have is that. If there are a spate of technical failures as a result of fast charging, which probably won't be due to the standard FIA mandated rig, they'll probably be instead because teams don't know how to use it properly, or in the case of maybe a couple of technical cheaters decide to use it in a slightly different way, shall we say. So... What we're, what we're going to end up with is a situation where everyone is on their tippy toes trying to make sure that nothing goes wrong with it. Because you know, I know that if Formula E has a technical omni-shambles, that's the only thing that anyone in 90% of the mainstream media hears about Formula E for a year. So it, it, it it's it's kind of, if you've got 30 seconds on a news broadcast to explain what you are, you don't want that those 30 seconds to be about the technical failure.
2: Valencia PTSD moment. Hmm. Um,
0: the Cape Town PTSD moment from last season, where all of a sudden was like, we need to take our shit and go home. Um, the suspension don't work. Uh, Some folks
2: so- were born made to wear the flag. Ooh, that red, white, and blue. Blaring in the background as I just stare into the abyss <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean it's just like any other regulation change in motorsport teams are going to try and game it as best They can to gain an advantage and though a lot of this is standardized because Pumping that much electricity into a vessel is going to be inherently dangerous. No matter how you slice it Um, Yeah, I expect a team or two to uh, try and get an advantage and have it literally and figuratively blow up in their face. The other
3: thing I, the other thing I've mentioned is that uh, you've got um, a, a couple of kind of obscure rules that the that the FIA has already brought in around attack charge, which uh, which is what they're calling it. Um, one of them is you've got to do it before you you you, you engage attack mode. And if you remember oh. from from Macy's last season, they were actually engaging attack mode fairly early in the race to get it out of the way. So mm. I think the aim is to impair drivers who are using attack mode early. Uh, also, no double stacks, which but both of these seem kind of, like um silly sort of nanny state type rules to to over regulate the racing i think that the fewer rules you have regarding when and how you take these fast charging stops the more excitement there could be on who's going to do what
0: and i was going to add on top of that to your point sasha i was going to say this series has built on a principle of saving energy and being as conservative as possible to try and maximize your speed especially late on in races and because I mean the way the series their broadcasts are you normally don't see how much battery is left until half distance in a race they want to build up the anticipation and the drama of how much energy can a team save on its powertrain over the course of a race. Now we're bringing in mandatory attack charges that's meant to refill batteries up I feel like it goes against the entire fundamental value with the series as a whole, when you're bringing in strategic pit stops on top of what's happened, this was a game of endurance, and this was a game of conservation for Motherine. Now it seems like it's going the opposite way, and I'm—I've openly said before on this show—I'm not a big fan of this change. I don't see why it was necessary. Like I thought. Formula e having cars that could go an entire race distance um, or go 45 minutes plus on a single battery life was a good thing, something that should be celebrated, something that's shown as the evolution of the series has gone on. We've come a long way from car swaps in the middle of races. Oof, we don't speak of those times, <laughs> but... Like, this seems like a step in the other direction. I think it's very just bizarre in general. But to
2: counter that point, we saw at the end of last year where races turned into 45 minutes of nobody wants to actually lead the race. The yeah. battery conservation element became so overpowering that we got a lot of action, but it just felt like empty calories.
1: Ultimately, what it, what it is, is handing you an amount of energy... And how you're gonna how you're gonna use it is going to define how successful you're gonna be. I think they're just changing the parameters around that. And yeah, to RJ's point, second half of last year, even really most of last year, these new cars with the way that the game changed around battery conservation, turned some of them into Talladega style pack races where people were just refusing to lead. So the play where it was almost dangerous.
3: Mm. I I think um it's not necessary to answer Dre's point, and um, uh, but but what it is is a nice to have when you consider that they're trying to attract more road manufacturers into this into the category. So um, when the Gen Three came out, one thing that people remarked on was that there's there's a charging port on the back, and that that somehow made people believe that this was a racing car with road car routes, However true that may or may not be, and I, I think that road relevancy is something that Formula E in needs to find other ways of building into its experience. Um, now uh, we're, we're going to talk about the marketing of the sport later and I've got my own kind of slightly negative views on those but I think th- this is not this is not necessarily completely a negative issue.
0: No, that's fair. That's fair. I didn't look at it in that in that sense. You make a valid point there, RJ, especially about how almost that conservation effect actually kind of had a detriment on the race in to a degree, especially in Portland, as Jason also put out in the chat, where nobody wanted to lead. That race had over four hundred overtakes, and the series celebrated that. But if you actually watched it, it felt like you were watching a cycling peloton until the last ten laps. I say uh, it, was, it was
1: less overtakes and more people backing out of positions.
2: Call yeah, forth Ryan Eric King to talk about cycling.
1: Yeah, yeah and um, um but 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 ultimately it's handing in the teams handing the manufacturers a, an amount of energy and another parameter to try and deal with mm. and seeing who can get their powertrain to best suit the regs.
2: Well, Jay, yeah. one thing that would be really catastrophic is if we had a, a battery fire during an important preseason test. Oh. Uh,
0: it's funny you say that because the next part of my section says pre-season fire and testing wrap up. Whoops. Um must have been a typo in the script. Um yeah, you probably read the news about this when it happened in October, but um yeah, there was a big pre-season fire in the middle of their four-day test at Valencia um, late last year. Um, There was a faulty battery in the Williams Engineering garage um, that caught fire that had to be taken care of. Thankfully, I think only one person had minor injuries. um, Thank God, because we all know how nasty and dangerous electrical fires can be. Take it from me. I worked in the bookies for seven years. Um, Shit gets hot quick, (laughs) let me tell you. Um, But uh, as a result, they did lose a day and a half's worth of testing roughly as a result of that fire Um, Mahindra's garage was right next door to Williams when it happened so Mahindra were the the ones that were probably the biggest sufferers of that um, they were heavily damaged but they were compensated with an extra private test as a way of basically as a make good for for what happened essentially and um, in, in, in shocking news Jaguar fast uh, Mitch Evans and Nick Cassidy both topped the running on the separate days we did get full sessions in in Envision's uh, Robin Frines uh, ended up winning the uh, simulated race they did during the test so Jaguar powertrains sweeping the board so to speak more on that later um on, on that one so worth pointing out what happened there as well um luckily for just the most important thing thankfully nobody was was seriously hurt by it um it's not the first time that an electric racing series has had uh, to deal with a fire in its own backyard moto we had this problem in 2022 i remember as well so it, it, it can happen it's an unfortunate nature of electric motorsport. These things do happen, but uh, thankfully, nothing too wild there. More we'll, we'll sprinkle some more performance-related stuff when we get to the teams in a moment as well, because there was a couple of points that I know Sasha wanted to make regarding the calendar, because this is a very interesting calendar, and I'll get to that now. Um, there's significant changes, especially one that was finally officially confirmed only about two days before we started recording this show. Hyderabad is gone. Oh, um, um, which is a real shame because I enjoyed Hyderabad when it was on the calendar last year. It produced a very exciting race. Um, due to a change of governance in the region, um, the new governance that's coming in that region of Hyderabad uh, weren't keen on a formulary race and decided we're not gonna have this anymore um, and formula Hyderabad. Yeah, very much so, and it, as a result of that, now um, Formula E's waving its contract commitment in their face, saying you promised us this many races, so that we'll see. Uh, we'll see if they have to lawyer up on that one down the road. But for now, no Hyderabad. That race will not be replaced this year. So it, it was looking like it was going to be Formula e's biggest ever calendar at 17 races. It's now only tying that with 16. Um, also, it leaves us a very awkward six-week gap after the end of January because. Uh, Diria is going to be on the end of Jan and then, and then we don't race again until Sao Paulo on March 16th. Um, so as as you, I'll, I'll, read, I'll run down the full calendar real quick, Mexico City, January 13th, then Diria in Saudi Arabia. Uh, that's a double header on January 26th and 27th. Sao Paulo on March 16th. Tokyo makes its Formula E debut um, on March 30th. Looking forward to seeing how that one gets down. And then another new uh, conventional road course in the calendar, Misano, The circuit, the Marco Simoncelli, most famous for its MotoGP events, will now be uh, hosting round six and seven. That should also be the attack charge debut round if plans hold up. We'll have to wait and see. But that'll be round 6 and 7 on April 13th and 14th. Then Monaco on April 27th. Uh, then we have four doubleheader weekends to close out the year. We've got Tempelhof in Berlin, of course, for, on May 11th and 12th. Shanghai on May 25th and 26th. And uh, that's another new track on the calendar. Yes, there is the Shanghai International Circuit, the Formula 1 track. Well, at least part of it will be well, uh, the, the, the majority of it will be used for Formula e in the, at Harrison, the end of Can May. you
1: imagine the lift and coast down the back stretch if they use the full circuit? <laughs> Mother of God.
0: They'll be pacing down that back backstretch at like 30 miles an hour. It'd be hilarious <laughs> to watch. Uh, Portland is back, but now as a double header on June 29th and 30th, and then the season finale at London back at the XL Centre on July 20th and 21st. So 16 rounds, and I know Sasha wanted to make this point as well because I've, I've been talking about this constantly on the show, Because I, especially when we had places like Jakarta last year. The culture war, proper tracks versus street circuits because we've now got two more you know, full blown established world championship level road courses, joining the calendar in Masano and Shanghai. Yes, Tokyo will be a more formulary typical street circuit, but we've now got Shanghai and Masano on the calendar. It looks to me more than ever, as if the series is leaning towards conventional racetracks now, as opposed to the series mantra, when it first started of bringing racing to the streets, How do we all feel about that?
3: Yeah, um, I think there's a few things going on here. Um, It it, it is a culture war, but it's also part... One of the things going on here is I think... Um, Alejandro Agag, the founder of Formula E, um, is continues to be an ideas man. He's he's the big picture vision maker. So his, his idea was, we go to where the most people are, we go to city street circuits, and we bring them racing so they don't have to go out there in their SUVs to a muddy car park and pollute the world more. Um, the problem with that is that it doesn't work when the cars get faster. Um, one of the reasons why we're moving from Rome last season to to Misano this season is because uh, if you remember from the Rome E-Prix last season, it, somebody could have died. There, there were a few serious accidents where cars were just literally driving into other cars that had spun, uh, as we saw with Murden mm. Mortara, for example. And that was a horrible um, crash there last year. And, and we, we can't continue to rely on the enviable safety of the monocoque to uh, protect the drivers. We need to protect them by having tracks that can actually sustain the speed of the Gen 3 as well. Um, the, the, the other thing is that uh, if we take Shanghai as an example, um, I, I think Formula E has to be in China because uh, the majority of exciting new EV manufacturers are from China and um, Ch- China, China is where. The manufacturers need to be for EV sales. Um, it, it's it's also for that reason not something I'm going to moan about that China is back on the calendar uh, for the first time since uh, unspecified health event that we're not allowed to mention otherwise we get a stamp on YouTube. <clears throat>
1: um, <clears throat> COVID. <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah. Something um, about a Mexican beer. I don't know. Uh,
0: yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, who, who knows? But no, it's it's. We've talked about this on the show a lot, Cam. I mean. It's kind of funny we talked about it like this because I'd argue the best formulary e race we had last year was Cape Town, and that was a and that was a new track, new street circuit, but it was fast enough to to compensate for how fast the Gen Three cars. Yeah, they had it had its drama, and that was mostly down to second rate second rate marshals. Let's be frank. Um,
1: yeah, um, but I mean, it, I mean it, it went to show you that. they could still
0: get it right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because I think I think with that, that's not that's not your traditional FE street circuit where it's, you know, ultra, ultra tight quarters. It's something a little bit more akin to something we're used to maybe with IMSA here in the United States or IndyCar or even a Formula One street circuit where... Supercars in Australia too. Supercars in Australia um, where you're using... It has enough space where the cars can breathe. These cars are, have kind of just outgrown the original fe style street circuit you know that the half monaco circuit that we used to run now we have the proper monaco circuit and it typically produces good racing um the bigger issue i think you run into is that they're kind of you have to race where the fish are biting where Mm. the tracks that are giving the the tracks that are willing to give them a contract for a race are permanent circuits or new street circuits, because if you're having to pitch an FE race to a place like Long Beach or St. Petersburg, they've already got their established events. The city is not going to pay. The city is going to have to pay for an event. It's all going to depend on what the city's willing to pay for.
2: And I, think, I, think I think it's more likely that, like for instance, in the United States, if we were to move away from Portland, I think it's more likely you get an FE race in Las Vegas than it is a Long Beach again. Absolutely, and Long Beach would be a long The full Long Beach would be fine for, for circuit for these Formula E cars as they are now.
1: Yeah, I just don't think that a place like Long Beach would put up the money for it. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of like old school IndyCar circuits. I'd love to see host a Formula E race, like like Belle Isle, for example. That would be that would be great as well. But uh, um, or you know, v- Vancouver, uh, I th- I think would have been good had it happened. But um, the the point I wanted to make about Portland was. Um, I, I said, well, wow, what a boring racetrack to go to in terms of appearance. You know, it, it's it's got it's got some decent it's got some decent kind of cor- corners and overtaking points and stuff. But fu- fundamentally, uh, there, there's nothing exciting for the camera to pick up. There's there, there's no kind of landmarks there, but. The local fans really took to it. Apparently, the grandstands were packed with people who were genuinely excited about seeing electric cars and, you know, seeing racing. And that's not something that we've seen at all of the city street circuits. I feel like maybe to use one of my crap analogies here. Apologies for this in advance. <laughs> it, 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 it's a bit it's a bit like my social life, okay? Because a few years ago, I, I was trying to trying desperately to meet up with the coolest people and go out and make my ego feel good by saying, "Hey, I'm out with these people. I'm their friend. It's amazing." And now I've realized that when you find a community of people who are a little bit nerdy, a little bit gatekeeping specialists, but who really like you, that's sometimes the best thing. Hello, Dre. Yes.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: Uh, yeah, that, that might be me. Uh, guilty is charged. Um, yeah, look, it's like you said, China is a massive electric vehicle market. It is you know, the honeypot. So to speak, uh, for for electric motorsport, electric car sales in general, Um, that does make a lot of sense. Um, I I I, I thought it was actually surprising how long it took them to actually get a nailed-on Chinese round back on the calendar. It's worth pointing out, given that Neo's dropped their backing of their own three 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 team, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, But yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. But yeah, I mean. It is funny, as Cam mentioned, you got to go where the fish are biting. It, again, isn't it amazing how this series used to be that Alejandro Agag used to brag that there was 100 cities that were asking for Formula re races and now all the big additions are now bona fide road courses that already have established events on them. They've just become every other motorsport series again now. <laughs> it's amazing how these things turn out in the end. Um, yeah, it turns out... That hey maybe city centres don't want to close their in their entire city centre for three days a year um, to host a shall we say second or third most popular world championship that the FIA has. Um, It's not exactly ideal, but I, hey. I think the
3: the the other thing to maybe bear in mind as well, just to echo that point, is that uh, when when you apply to a permanent circuit for a race, the leadership of that circuit is not going to change. When you apply to a city, as we've seen with Hyderabad, as we saw with Paris, um mm. when the city government changes, uh, one of the things they can do to appease the voters and say, "Hey, if you vote for us, we'll get rid of this damn Formula E race that's causing you to shut your windows for a weekend in the summer," you know? Yeah. So it. It's 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 kind of the thing that they can do to say, "Hey, look, you know, we're we're done with this globalist crap. You know, we're focusing on you now." That kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it, it can easily be used as a political bargaining tool, and I think that's kind of what's happened here with Hyderabad because its new governance clearly did not want this race when the old one clearly did, um, and uh, that's what's led to this impasse, which they're going to have to deal with legally. Another point that Sasha wanted to to make in the notes, and I think that's I. I had forgotten about this and I shouldn't have done, but given that they were plugging them all over social media in the last couple of weeks. Um, and this is mostly for, for me, the filthy Brit out of the four of us here. Um, yeah. Uh, Formulary is dead on free to wear television in the UK, which is a real shame because the UK I think is arguably its biggest audience. Um, and uh, yeah, after nine years of shuffling across all the major free-to-air broadcasters because let's not forget, this series started out on ITV back in the day. It moved to Channel 5, then it went to the BBC briefly, then it went to Channel 4, um, all over the place on that, on their network there. It is now moving to TNT Sports. Yes, the home of bikes, as they self-like to call themselves uh, nowadays with this, with its MotoGP and Superbike coverage, it's now added Formula E to its portfolio and, uh, uh get to Jokes in now because Jermaine Genus is the former Tottenham uh, footballer, is going to be anchoring their coverage this year, which I rolled my eyes when I saw that news. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, oh, it's Jermaine Genius. Oh, it's it's, it's Whisper Films producing the in-house stuff again. So that's, again, that's Jake Humphreys, uh, production company. Uh, I, was, I was actually quite rightly put to in our notes. Mr. High Performance, which I do, <laughs> which, yeah. Noted that's...
2: podcaster, Jake Humphreys. <laughs> 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 oh,
0: dear. So yeah, he's, he's clearly had some friends in the right place. Because I don't forget, Jake Humphrey was a... As it was known back then, BT Sport football anchor for a good ten years. He's clearly got some mates in that department. Still, he like, hey, why don't you bring in this Formula E series, and we can keep my fingers in the pot because our production company can make the in-house stuff. Um, which, look, uh, you guys don't need to comment on this one. This is this is this is a, a more like a me problem. I I know for a fact they've signed four to wear deals in other countries like Spain, Italy, and Germany, which they've not promoted. Which I think is just baffling given that, like, where do you think your audience is going to come from here? But they've made a big deal of promoting the new panel because David Coulthard's joining the broadcasts as well, which, well, of course, it's his production company, no shit. Um, And I know for a fact they paid a bunch of influencers to help promote that new cast all over social media. So. I'm not going to sit here and pretend it's a good thing. For those who don't know in the UK and maybe maybe you're new to the show because I've talked about this a lot with Moto GP's coverage in the UK. It's behind the paywall. It's 30 pounds a month in the UK for TNT Sports on Discovery Plus's um streaming platform. You're going to have a crater of audience in the UK. You're it's gonna like lose about-
2: your your like free-to-air motorsport market is just like BTCC and its supporting series and the odd F one highlights and maybe the British Grand Prix in its entirety. We we get I, the British Grand Prix.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, we get the British Grand Prix live because that's a Tier A listed sport event, which means by UK law it has to be on a free to wear platform law. somewhere. But only a handful of events are in that category in the UK. So like it's like the Wimbledon finals, the FA Cup final and then, like, the British Grand Prix. It's a pretty... Obviously, any, like, world and European football men's or women's, like, championship-wise, like, if it's a
2: Euros or a World Cup, football-wise, we have to... World Darts Championship snubbed SMH. Congratulations, (laughs) Luke Humphries. Yeah, it's well done, Luke
1: Humphreys. (laughs) You know if that law wasn't in place that they would be pillaging it for every cent.
2: Absolutely. And...
0: £30 pounds a month is ludicrous for what TNT Sport gives you. It gives you a little bit of football. It gives you some of the American sports. GP alone is not worth 30 quid a month. And I've said it before. When GP was on BBC2, Free to Wear on a Sunday afternoon, it was getting about a million viewers a race. That was solid for a Sunday afternoon uh, um, slot on the BBC. When it went to TNT, it's now down to about £150,000. Like there was almost as many people watching the British Grand Prix on TV for MotoGP earlier this like like late last year compared to people that were actually at the Grand Prix watching it live in attendance. And yeah. that was like sixty thousand. I think about watched a hundred thousand watched the British Grand Prix live on on TNT this this past year. You are not going to gain new fans by putting yourself behind a thirty pound a month paywall. This is a catastrophic move from Formula Re, because where are you going to get new fans from by having your product behind a massive paywall? I see, wow. It's oh, a it's...
1: niche. It's a niche of a niche of a niche motorsport, and now you are putting up a barrier for new people who might get into that niche to try and watch it for the short-term gain of getting a couple bucks on the subscription.
2: I almost feel like formerly feels like, right, we've got the few thousand or so die-hard enthusiastic fans. They're already in our pocket. No of us, no matter what, why should we attract more
1: people? The, well, um, <laughs> it's not a great way to grow the series now, is it?
3: No. Yeah. On, uh, and I, I think it's, um, it, it's it speaks to a culture change from, from the original idea of Formula E again. So Formula E uh, rose to prominence when it was free to air on YouTube uh, in the majority of territories. And uh, so, so y- you knew exactly where to find it. Uh, Formula E didn't care so much about making broadcasting deals or making money because, well, frankly, in those days it was about to go bankrupt anyway. So it was just looking for viewers and fans from anywhere. I think uh, once once they did start getting the manufacturers in, once they started uh, making pay dirt a little bit more, uh, they maybe got a bit more arrogant. They, they brought in people uh, who had organised major broadcast and sponsorship deals for people like Manchester United in the case of Jamie Rigel. And yeah. now in the case of the new CEO, Jeff Dodds, um, he's the former CEO of Virgin Media. So, of course, he believes in satellite TV. He believes in, you know, old school cable deals, basic cable. And the, the trouble with all of this thinking is, is that it's it's outdated the the modern sports fan is already shelling out huge amounts of cash for the Premier League and for Formula One through F1 TV. And uh, what they're looking for, if they're looking for a motorsport alternative, is is an easy way to watch it. I have a friend in Australia who told me, and I've got no idea what the broadcast deal is there this year, told me last season, sometimes the channel that had the rights to Formula E just chose not to show it. Um, the, 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 the Formula E coverage on Channel 4 YouTube was pathetic last season. I can see why they've moved on from it, but unfortunately we've moved on from from a bad situation to a worse one, uh, just because of the arrogance of some people who think that they know best, when actually they haven't consulted widely enough. I, I also maybe wonder sometimes if uh, if 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 maybe this is now being viewed by the FIA as like the Apple Vision Pro of motorsports, in, in that. um it's it's kind of a lost leader it's a nice to have it's something that shows the future of motorsport but they're not actively pushing it they're not promoting it um in um and i i don't know i'm assuming that's a bug maybe it's a feature um i i hope that there are not elements trying to run the trying to run this particular motorsport category down but mm. uh, it, it just feels like the independent um uh, journalists and writers and content makers who um who do so much to actually push it are not being given any help in 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 many cases last season you know like i was denied a press pass for london i know several other people were as well and uh, w- when you then see tiktokers from from like f1 tiktok going there and uh, even people who don't follow motorsport usually you kind of wonder why you're doing this sometimes
0: um i've not said this publicly but i will say this now um Let's just say my previous job had no problem negotiating contracts to send influencers to races. And I know for a fact that certain people on a certain talent roster that I was on last year were getting paid five figures for one weekend's work at certain Formula venues last year. It is obscene the amount of money they are throwing at influencers to get people behind this series. And- <laughs> Damn, I wish that was me.
1: <laughs> yeah I, I, I sat
0: during one of those meetings in that company and balked when i found out that they were bragging about the fact that one of their content creators had been paid five figures to for one weekend's work <laughs> in berlin and i and uh, my eyes almost rolled into the back of my skull now look I'm a journalist first. I'm not a content creator. My bread and butter is writing and podcasting. I'm never going to be the sort of person that's going to influence anybody besides buying sports jerseys. But what I will say is that I could get into a greater dialogue about the battle of um, conventional media versus the content creator because those lines are getting very blurry in 2024. But what I will say is, is that people that are smart we'll be able to see right through what the series is doing because it is pouring six, seven figures into some of these content creators and it's smoke and mirrors. Uh, like, let's it this way. Last year to start last season, I saw the famous content creator and sometimes TV guy chunks of the beta squad being put in a go-kart to go around the track as part of Formula E's content creation plan. Nothing to do with electric motorsport. Nothing to do with someone that actually cares about your product and series. Just stick in a famous face in a go-kart. If this is how you think you're going to promote yourself in 2024, people will see right through that very, very quickly. And I, and I promise you, it will not be a good look for the
2: series. They can do that. They don't just this. scroll past it already. Like, right. it's just like, there's almost an air of apathy, like, Whatever we think about IndyCar series marketing team, it looks like the MBA compared to what formerly is. They have going a marketing off.
3: team? <laughs> 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 that's news to the, me <laughs> the, the, the the other thing is like sometimes the marketing ideas that they have have been had you know 10 20 years ago so for example london last season they got trent alexander arnold to cross a football onto the uh nose of i think nick cassidy's envision um mm. you know, so he could score football with cars was done by top gear in 2005 what, what are we doing here
0: yeah it's just we have a big name. Let's do some relevant crossover content, and the viewers will come flocking in. Um, yeah, it, it just,
1: just it just reeks to me of throwing throwing any idea, established or not, at the wall and seeing what sticks.
0: It's this desperation. While,
1: while at the same time making your product harder to access for the average person. Because it, it, to, to your they've point, they've got
0: their wires crossed. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and to your point, Sash, I mean, FE coverage just basically doesn't exist here. It's on, on tape delay on an obscure channel.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, if you have Paramount+, Plus, you could probably get it live. Yeah. Um, and
3: if I, I suspect that, sorry, sorry no, to go, jump go, go, over go, go. here, but I, go, I, su- I suspect that that's part of the problem here, which is that I I don't think that broadcasters are paying for broadcast deals always, and I don't have evidence to suggest this. It's just kind of stuff that I've heard off the record from people who suspect the same thing. I think that maybe Formula E is paying for some of these broadcast deals. And I I wonder if maybe uh, Jake Humphrey thinking the definition of high performance is taking Formula E to a pay channel is perhaps an example of an all or nothing deal where they've said, look, we're the only ones who really want this. Do you want us or not? And formula e has to take the deal because jeff dodds the ceo CEO, actually said um we need free to wear in the uk and he hasn't followed up on that promise
0: it's a shame and kiera in in our chat quite rightly sums it up as well saying the best motorsport influencer stuff has been influencers like madeline white who was an f1 fan before she started getting offers to go to races people who were never interested in a series before aren't going to encourage people and like i said I saw right through it when I was a part of WTF one and I wasn't getting invited to the big stuff. Cause I didn't have enough of a social media profile to make it worth their while. So I was able to look at it from the outside, looking in and I was like, the amount you're throwing at these people you are. there is no way on god's green earth you're getting a return on that investment not a not in a million years but hey you know if you want to make it if you want if you think it will make your series look good in doing so knock yourself out but i guarantee you anyone with two brain cells they can rub together will see right through it it's fake as shit and and I don't believe in that personally, and yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that rolls out for the series. But having it behind a thirty pound a month paywall helps no one. Uh, I can I can promise you that. Right, let's get into some of the runners and riders uh, of of the twenty twenty four season. Eleven teams as ever. Uh, we get as we normally trad- traditionally do. On in the a uh,
2: Formula Series having 11 2 car teams, that's crazy. It would never happen in Formula One.
0: Yeah, it's M- Michael Andretti is pumping his fist. He's like, "This is the 11. 11- this is the 11 car championship series I wanted to be in." Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: <clears throat> <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, um, what we normally do on the show is we go in reverse championship order from last year. So, uh, with that in mind, uh, at Cooper comes up first on our list. Uh, 2023-11, 21 points scored. Their best finish was sixth place in Rome on the Mahindra powertrain as their customer team. Um, to borrow a line from Randy Orton's recent return to the WWE, uh, Daddy's back because uh, Lucas Degrassi has come home uh, to the apt Cooper team. He's back there alongside Nicholas Muller um, to, to form their team on that one. Um, I love the Sasha's question that, that he put in our notes here. I think there's one that is quite prevalent and I'll put it to him first. Is Degrassi a backroom signing brought in for experience rather than speed? Because I'm curious, just how good is Lucas Degrassi still in 2024?
3: The Titans of Gen 1 were Degrassi and Sebastian Buemi, and I, I think we can both see that their best year, uh, we can see that with both of them, their best years in single seater motorsport are probably in open wheel motorsport rather are behind them. Um, with Degrassi, he was at Mahindra last season, he signed there on the promise that uh, he would have a multi year deal involving assisting with the management of the team. Then the person who signed that deal with him, Dilbag Gill, was sacked, so uh, mm. he, end- he ended up with with none of those promises actually made, I think that's the reason why he's moved. Uh, apart from the fact Mahindra were a bin fire last season, in other ways, uh, he's <laughs> he's moving he's moving back to base camp now. Uh, he's been involved with Abt before he he know he knows the people there, he knows the factory, he knows he knows the team, and uh, I think he'll get on like a house on fire with them. Um, with house on fire being a good thing in this case, I also think that um, eventually he's looking at a management role either within the team. Or within the FIA, possibly. So I, I think this will this will be this will give him a good chance to expand his side interests and continue being a kind of motorsporting Gerard P. K. without the jam jar.
2: <laughs> i mean i mean lucas degrassi is died in the wool formula E, he is its strongest mm. soldier he always has been like it would have to take like something catastrophic like i don't know he thinks the new ceo is too woke these days for him to distance himself from formula e <laughs> these days um because yeah he's he's gonna he, i think he's gonna retire uh, a E driver He's got the resume of an all-time legend but he is now in the sunset of his career. Turns 40 at the end of this se- year after oh, the wow. season concludes, which is really crazy it makes me feel very old. The past time is bullshit. Nico Muller. Uh have we seen the best of him already? Might have done. I,
0: I, I, I he was fine at, at the App Cooper team last year, but I don't think he did anything. Uh, is, it, is, it, is it sad to say that his most his biggest highlight was that massive crash he had at Portland, despite the fact that he was obviously we we speak of we think of the Berlin wet front row lockout, which was obviously um amazing to watch in, in in real time as it happened. But there wasn't a huge amount to take away. Now, know how much of that is on Nico and how much of that is on the team is kind of hard to gauge for me.
3: I think the thing we need to remember with Nico Muller is um, he was best of the rest in DTM when Rene Rast was running away with it for all those mm. seasons and so there there is a racing brain in there. I'm, I'm not saying he's ever going to be goat tier or anything but I, I think we think of it as fans. We want the most exciting drivers in there um, and we, we want the people that we're fans of to come into Formula E. I think a Formula E team owner um, makes that sort of Gunter Steiner calculation of who's going to save me the most repair bills this season and who's going to be reasonably consistent in qualifying in race you know w- without setting the world on fire necessarily because and, and also Nico Muller's probably a bit cheaper than those exciting drivers that we can all name
0: yeah And uh, we did finish last year with points finishes in three out of the last four races. Maybe again, part of that was the London rain kicking in um, because it was a wet as a mofo in London. towards the end. the it was a classic London summer um, where it it pissed relentlessly. Um, So that that was fun.
1: Second half, second half last year. Honestly, you can't complain a whole lot when you consider that this was one of two teams that had to withdraw due to their car being fundamentally unsafe for Mm. a round um generally i think for for apt and their powertrain supplier i think that they can only go up because if there's a floor below last season then i don't want to know it
0: oh i was gonna say like you gotta remember last year robin friends walked into that team one of the real shocks of the 2022 silly season was Robin leaving Envision to go uh, to, to go over there in the first place. Remember that, it becomes important later. Um, and saying, we'll do well to just finish races at this new Cupra team. Um, and they ended up with 21 points. Like, it ended up not being terrible. Yes, they were still the worst team, but I think they kind of walked into that expecting to be lost. Um, but they were competitive. And that is already something to take away from last season. So, you know, especially I, I,
1: from Jakarta onwards.
0: Yeah, Jakarta onwards, they were they were solid midfielders, and that's about as much as you could reasonably ask out of a team. They they exceeded expectations for me. So that's like, okay. They were still last, but they were not a. They were not sad when they were last. Let's put it to you that way. They didn't. We always said yeah, the show, other you, thing well <laughs> the,
1: the other thing was as well that we. You know, that didn't help them out is the fact that Robin got hurt in the first round on the first lap,
0: had a bone sticking out of his wrist. Uh, was a hard
2: oh, so for what
1: four, four rounds last year.
2: Yeah, he missed yeah. four is, rounds, and people it, were it, worried it, that he wouldn't come back at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. clearly not 100% when he came back. So, this, this, was the, there's the, something here.
2: There's one
0: to look forward to, certainly. Should we talk about the Big Brother team for a minute? And obviously Mahindra itself. Uh Mahindra last year, 10th in the standings, 41 points. Did get the one podium finish in Mexico City, where Lucas deGrassi had to drag that sorry car up to third place in the end. And they thought, hey, the good times will never end, and then the rest of the season happened. Um and it just didn't like they peaked very early, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> And it didn't really go uphill from there. Um, and Mahindra is uh, a tire fire, I think was Sasha put it, about two three minutes ago. Um, so they cleaned house. Dilbar Gill is gone. Uh, we all know that. And they've got a new, i was like to joke on, on our notes here, all-star team lineup. And this was the one that certainly, I think, raised the most eyebrows in silly season. Nick the Freeze is back after his, his uh, failed Formula One tenure poor guy uh the 2021 series champion um and edo mortara who was horrible last year but has been a perennial title contender beforehand with previous teams like venturi in the past it's a big it is a big high profile team with established top tier runners in it but it's a mahindra (laughs)
3: Yeah, and I th- I think we we probably all suspect that they they wouldn't have got this kind of uh, so th- this is like a moneyball lineup. This is uh, this mm. is two down on down on their luck guys who um, Mahindra have taken the gamble. Still have the on base potential, um, and uh, I th- I think that Mahindra are lucky to snap them up after the season they had last season. Uh, and particularly as, you know, um, pound for pound with the amount of money that is being put into it, this is probably the slowest powertrain in Formula E. Yes. Um, I, I, I know the ERT powertrain is slower, but uh, they have a lot less money to play with and resources. So um, to get De Vries and Mortara, it, it's a fantastic get. Uh, the, the thing that we've got a question is, and this has this been mentioned on the races uh, pre season roundup as well uh, De Vries has missed uh, a season mm-hmm. of Gen th- Gen 3 which is Uh very different to Gen 2, which he obviously thrived in and won the title in. And Motara is is a confidence player. He's the sort of bloke who needs to know the teams behind him. I think that he probably left Maserati MSG uh, at the same time as James Roster, their team principal, was fired uh, for um, not coincidental reasons. I, I think there was a feeling that they needed to clear the decks and start again there. I'm, I'm not convinced with the people they brought in necessarily to do that. Um, Mortara, though, doesn't make it easy for himself. Uh, Mr. Macau, he might be. He's, He's still won more races in Macau than any other race driver, I think. But since being in Formula E, he's had a tendency to be extremely quick to um, win some very difficult races by, you know, pulling off some really naturally talented overtaking moves, but also to try low percentage manoeuvres that he doesn't need to and end up out of races in the midfield as well. He, he's he's not a great midfield runner, but he is great if he's in the top three. And I think that he's will be a problem at Mahindra exceptional potentially. exceptional
2: when he's in the top three. Let's not forget, 2020-21, 20, 20, runner up in the championship, 21-22 four wins third in the championship this guy's good
1: Hmm.
0: he he can very much be but again i think you i think you summed it up brilliantly sasha It, it was it was when Mortara was in the wars and he was in the midfield with a lot of 2023 season, that's when the mistakes all started coming out. He took out many people on track last year. He re-wrecked his car on several occasions. He got scrappy. The same guy that, I mean, we joked him when he called Lucas Degrassi the butcher a couple of years ago and he ended up taking his taking his mantle in 2023 because of how rough his racecraft was um yeah,
1: i mean Dre seven retirements last season and most of them were uh let's say not mechanical no they were just through poor driving go on sash
3: <laughs> uh, the, the other thing is that um uh, but both both of the dri- I mean Nick DeVries certainly is nailed on to be driving for Toyota in every wet race next season. Um, and if if I if I were Nick, uh, candidly looking at Mahindra, I would I, I would look at Toyota as being my priority, to be honest, because without a, I, and I, without I think, a shadow I, of a doubt, I, I, I think. I, th- I think I, I think Kamui Kobayashi has sent out the, sent out the edict that look we're paying the majority of your wages we are your priority to each of it to each of his drivers next season and I think that's fair enough. Um, Mortara has also signed with Lamborghini to drive the LMDH in WEC next season, so they're both going to be missing Berlin as things stand. Um, that indicates that Mahindra aren't serious about winning the drivers' title, which of course they're not in the frame for, but it indicates that they can't now as well.
1: Sasha, it it speaks to a like that just speaks to a lack of stability and structure within the team. That you're, you've got two guys who, everyone here is lucky to have one another after the seasons that all three entities have just had. Mm. But it also doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of commitment here when you've got two other guys contracted to manufacture teams in another series that, frankly. In, in both cases, have a higher priority. On Mahindra, a list. the
2: side chick of the Formula E Championship, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, although
3: Envi- Envision, which we'll talk about later, has the same crisis coming we
0: up. They do. They we do. We'll get we'll get into that later on in a minute. But uh, yeah, I, I I see what Sash is saying. Like to me, Mahindra feels like a a low like a high upside team. Uh, I'm not sure where the floor is with them, but there is a lot of potential if everything goes to plan. Jason makes a great point in our chat as well. DeFries was slowest in preseason testing. He, he was the guy who needed more seat time than anybody else to get used to Gen 3, and through no fault of his own, he lost that due to the fire, um, which did not help either. So Mahindra's on the back foot going into the season in the first place, and they Just were already...
2: He's, he's got that Ivy League education now. That one semester at Harvard is going to do him wonders. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One semester at Harvard getting clapped. <laughs> uh,
0: is, that, is, that, is that their idea of a rookie hazing period, going to join Mahindra's Formula E team then? Um, oh. the- <laughs> Speaking of hazing, um, I've, I've put a line through the artists formerly known as the Neo 333 Free Free racing team who have another new identity uh, in Formula E this year. Uh, because they are now the ERT Formula E team, um, a, a new name, same team. Um, they were ninth last season. They beat Mahindra by a single point in the end. They had forty-two. Their best finish was was a uh, Daniel Tictum's fifth in India. Um, with they, again, they were running their own powertrain with ERT. It's an unchanged lineup: the Daniel Ricardo Verstappen-esque number three of uh, Sergio Sete Camera and the thirty-three of Dan Ticktum. Look. I don't know how I feel about about Dan Tictum at this point because he does he is a wind-up merchant. He will say and do dumb shit. But he did have a handful of genuinely really good results for this team last year. Like the ta- the talent is the, not the, the speed, problem with Tictum. <laughs> the
1: speed remains not the problem years down the line. The problem <laughs> is well sometimes his head falls off.
2: Hmm. Ask Ricky Collard. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And so Dan Ticktum, uh, a, a bit like Formula E itself, will have one extremely costly incident every season that then gets added to his his charge sheet of negative things that he's ever done in his life and which will be the only thing people talk about. Last season, it was the one where uh, Jake Dennis was impaired by him and called him that plonker after the race. Um, I think that probably hurt Dan a lot more than any other driver uh, saying that because Jake was Jake was his one mate in the paddock when he when he first joined the sport and he was the one who tried the hardest to integrate Dan into Formula E as a um, as a community so I, I think it's i i think it's been tough i think it's been mostly self-inflicted by Tictum, but i genu- i generally stick to the positive side of well um there there have been enough times when he's eked more out of that ERT package that or neo333 as wars package next we um,
2: china <laughs> racing yeah, yeah. whatever you want to call it
3: that that, that next ev chassis than we thought was there. And, you know, um, I I think that uh, a lot of people were surprised when Oliver Turvey was binned uh, in order to get Sete Kamara in alongside Tictum. They thought that possibly Tictum would be the one on his way out. But, uh, I mean, Russell O'Hagan, the team principal, is an intelligent guy, and I think he's kept Tictum on because he knows that the ups are going to outweigh the downs.
0: They're not going to get a better driver than him in that seat. And look, t- to Tictum's credit, he had seven points finishes last year in a team that's normally been down the bottom for most of its existence in Formula E. We- we- we'll ignore that initial Nelson PK Jr. title, but most of the time they've been in FE, they've most been... Most people already do. Oh, yeah, trust me. But <laughs> most of their time in FE, they've been down the bottom of the standings. And yeah... Tictum punched above its weight multiple times um, f- throughout twenty twenty three. So, look, they're not going to get a better driver than Dan in that seat. The upside in that man as a talent is clearly there. Unlike, and we're not necessarily fans of him um, as a person. It, like we all know like the speed is there most most certainly it's
2: there for sergio sette camera as well who's another highly touted prospect at the junior formula ranks who didn't quite make it to f1 but you always think the speed is there In formula E, he got the team's best finish last year mm. uh so another potential diamond in the rough i'm curious about this new investment so what's different what's different now that we didn't have last year
0: any ideas, Sash? Because you know this a little bit more than I do. But um, like, is, is there anything here to make you go, "Oh, maybe this team could be a bit better than the sum of its parts"?
3: So my, my understanding was that um, after Neo ceased uh, ceased wanting to have a works team, uh, it moved on out and became a sponsor. That was from uh, I think the 2019-20 season onwards. That that was that was the season when they they had the. The barely painted car and the the old Dragon powertrain. Um, I, I think since then, Neo has, um, for potentially uh, reasons above them, pressure above them from China, uh, not wanted to commit to motorsport as much as it had been doing. And so, Neo three three three, the entity that was sponsored by them, was always looking for new investment. Um, I think what they're hoping for is stability for ERT. But uh, I I think um, as with all of the teams at the back of the grid, they're going to be looking for any points that they can get to ensure that other sponsors come on board as well.
0: Well, they got something. Forty-two is not bad for last season, and they were—they were not bottom. They were still better than the Mahindras, which is a step in the right direction for this team, certainly. Is there any more in the tank? Um, because we're now getting into the bigger factor. Hmm. You know, like but, because you—you you look next on the list. You've got a big hitter, and that's McLaren, and we'll get to them very, very shortly. Um, but they've—they've they've got the drivers. I think they've got a good technical team the, the behind them. The talent
1: in the seat, I don't think, is really the problem. The other concern that you might have going into this year is that they did score a big chunk of their points in the chaos of the early season. Mm. With a year on these cars, with now a more you know teams now being established with them, they're probably going to have to scrap quite a lot harder if their car isn't, if their powertrain isn't as good on merit
0: yeah we'll have to mm-hmm. wait and see how that plays out and the going let's talk a bit about McLaren shower because there's a big there's a bit of a jump up in points here now and overall team quality because uh ERT as we know them now had 42 points last year eighth place in the standings last year was McLaren with 88 more than twice the haul um they had one podium finish and that was uh, Saudi Arabia race two with uh I think it was Jake Hughes on the podium that mm-hmm. day um I want to say I'm just gonna double check my notes in front of me it was was in you know, it was actually you know, it was um it was running rest actually my apologies um point is there were eighth overall um, they're on the Nissan powertrain as we know as their customer uh, the factory team we'll get to next um, on that list Rene Rast is gone he's gone back to the world of DTM and endurance racing and they've brought in the people's champ Manchester United sufferer and our friend and yours Sam Bird um, alongside them we all kind of knew this was coming when when it was announced at Rene Rast everyone was like Sam Bird's going to McLaren isn't he and yep yeah, turns out Sam Bird was indeed announced at McLaren now with the number 8 badge, man thinks he's Bruno Fernandez as Jason puts, puts it in our chat
2: but mm. uh, way too many manual references in this group, um, McLaren a, uh, a lot expected of them they took over what was the Mercedes EQ team there, there were some solid results to make you think oh yeah this is the McLaren standard of excellence that we couldn't expect and then there's flashes of just like this feels a bit half-baked
0: it feel, I was going to say, it, it, I don't want to be critical of Mr. Brown and his 115 different motorsport adventures at this point, but this is a team that only scored three points in the back half of last season. Like the last seven race weekends, they only scored three points as an overall team. They needed didn't the they, didn't they have
1: a DNS in there as well?
0: I want to say they did um like because McLaren just overall were just sloppy at the end of the year they didn't they didn't have a D like they did have a DNS yeah the first race in Rome because of the um the chassis situation that they were in um they 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 were they didn't have their spare available so they just couldn't race with one of their cars yeah overall Rast is gone you've got bird alongside Jake Hughes it's an all-British lineup but they were
2: so sloppy the back half of 2023. If you want to talk about, we were talking about drivers who had a massive hit to their ego this offseason coming into new places. This also applies to Sam Bird, who for many, many years has been the best former league driver who's never won a world championship. And I still maintain that is the case, but hmm. you feel like we've already seen the best.
3: I would agree with that. Um, just to um, talk about the wider point of McLaren. Um, they, uh, they 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 basically did a did a management buyout of the Mercedes EQ Formula E team, which was the title winning team two seasons in a row. Um, they 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 even kept the um, the suave and excellent team principal Ian James, who I once mm. referred to as the Marvel Netflix version of Toto Wolf, and um, th- <laughs> they. Um, they, they they kept the factory as well, so theoretically th- um, that was a uh, re- ready to ready to run um, oven ready, as someone once said, um, a potential champion contender team. Admittedly, they had a much slower powertrain in the Nissan, but you you know the, everyone was coming into Gen three um, on a, what was effectively a uncertain and level playing field and. I think that to take the title-winning team to eighth, you, um, you know, Zach Brown's the only person who would paint that as being a triumph, and Zach Brown's an excellent marketer. So Exactly. Th- th- the other thing I'd say is, uh, um, yeah, McLaren are spreading themselves too thinly generally. I think that's, again, a feature, not a bug. I think it's to distract from the fact that they don't think they can be regular Formula 1 winners anytime soon. Um, and um, that they are <laughs> also running running in Extreme E, and, uh, you know, that's something I know you guys have opinions on but so, yeah. so JQ's I was pleasantly surprised by last season uh, yeah. he, he generally had the measure of Rene Rast who seemed to be the ones who, one of the ones who really didn't like the Gen 3 nervousness on those Hankook cold tyres um, JQ's really um, had the ability I think from Formula 2 to take the car by the scruff of the neck and do something with it even when the tyres and the aero weren't favourable to him um, the question I would have again is is, and I'm hoping someone puts an echo on this and to prove how wrong I was at the end of the season, you know, maybe on a Netflix documentary for him. But is Sam Bird really the person you want to hire to take your team to another level? Uh, it, it feels to me like a marketing move because. I didn't see anything good from Bird at Jaguar last season that indicated that he's going to be able to lead McLaren and say, this is how we do it. No,
2: it right looks As a matter of fact, we actually saw quite a lot of bad. Um, from the outset, Evans and Bird's relationship was breaking down. So I, I understand Bird need the change. Is this the, the change of scenery that Sam Bird needs?
1: The, the relationship tends to go badly when you get a surprise um, Rule 34 nose-down gearbox up moment. Multiple <laughs> times.
0: Yeah, I mean, anyone who listened to me in Formula E's episodes in 2023 as the perennial Mitch Evans sufferer knows that I lost my rag with Sam Bird on multiple occasions last year for valid reasons. Sam Bird is better than what he was at Jaguar. And look, it wasn't all bad. Bird had a few results in there that were genuinely outstanding, but I'm not sure he's going to be guy you can put you can have as the anchor of your team anymore. Maybe they don't have to with Jake Hughes in there. Jake Hughes, I think was I think he carried himself pretty well in Formula E for his first real season, um, last year. But I'm not sure how much Sam Bird gives you in 2024 at this point. He needs to establish his days of Envision and Virgin a lot more than the the the, the <laughs> disaster that was his 2023 at Jaguar. Um, he's better than that. At least I'd like to think he's better than that. But again, we have to wait and see how this plays out. This might be a much better, more low-profile fit for him than being in a front-running form of the team. Maybe his results can pick him back up the field a little bit. Maybe perception will be the change that he needs. But yeah, I, again, I think this was a case of take the best driver available and it looks good for our all british team to have to have an all british lineup i'm not i'm not convinced that bird is the guy in 2024 to, to carry you at this point but maybe yeah, I mean, looking if at the keep, second half yeah.
1: of their season yeah. last year they got to get that floor up you know at the peak it wasn't too bad we saw them run at the front uh, a few on a few occasions yeah but far too often would they fade and far too often were they just very anonymous and I think they kind of share that feature with their powertrain supplier.
0: Yeah. And uh, speaking of which, the factory team, the Nissan Formula E team next up on the list, they were seventh last year with 95 points, um, had a second place finish in Rome Race 2. That was the highlight of their, of their otherwise quite fragmented year. Thanks, Norman Nato. Um, uh, and thanks for not coming back because uh, he's gone. And in surprising news, um, Ollie Rowland who retired halfway through last year at Mahindra, so we thought, um, decided to uh, come back to Yorkshire and decide to uh, come back with the Nissan team this time around. Please forgive my horrible idea of a Yorkshire accent. I'm not Michael Parkinson, God rest his soul. But he's back uh, at, at, for, for the team in 2024. I'm quite glad they still have Sasha Fenestraz there. Um, oh, yeah, think, he's the guy. Because uh, I, I think he's got a lot of upside in that. in I think, very fast, especially over a single lap. His outright speed was sensational last year. So I, I like their lineup. I think Oddie Rowland has always been a solid Formula E driver in whatever team he's been with um, in his time at Formula E. Um, you know, but again... Uh, Sasha, you summed it up quite well in your notes. I think Nissan has never been the same team since their original technological developments were canned by the series itself. They've never been able to seemingly recover from that.
3: Uh, Yes, and I'm just in shock because I've just Googled that Michael Parkinson actually died last August. I had no idea of that. Um, Off topic, anyway. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, horrible news. Yeah, but uh, so... um, yeah, N- N- Nissan for me are um, um, are a mixed bag. I think the, um, one of the problems that Nissan have is 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 cultural because uh, I I think um, even including and maybe even before maybe we maybe we can go back sort of thirty years to the R three hundred and Ninety Le Mans car. Nissan have never invested the kind of money that they needed to to actually win in in global motorsport. Oh uh, yeah, uh, the we, car we, that was
1: uh, bulletproof, bombproof, and speedproof in the words well, of Bob Varsha. At-
3: Exactly, yeah, and um, I I trust what Bob Varsha says, but uh, uh, they they then came up with the uh, front end front engine joke from Ben Bowlby oh. after that, um, and <laughs> I I just I just think Nissan have um, always been the uh, less knowledgeable younger brother of the Renault Nissan alliance, and now that they're on their own and they've taken that Formula on team uh, Formula E team on for themselves, I I'm not. Sure, that uh, th- there, there is the institutional understanding of what is needed to really get behind their Formula E team. That said, the people running it on the ground are doing a great job. Um, Sasha Fenestraz continues to be one of my favourite drivers. I, I think it, it, he showed genuine. Excellence on the circuit uh, last season, particularly in qualifying. Um, the problem he found was that race powertrain wasn't good enough to actually uh, get, um, efficiently carry him through at the front. He generally ended up around eighth or ninth after a good start. Um, Norman Nato was uh, Norman Nato was underrated last season,
0: so to speak. I said again, I think again the driver the driver lineup is great. I'm a big fan of Fenestraz and and Roland. Again, like. If you look, if you take the upside of Roland, he is a guy who can challenge and win races in Formula e. and mm. I, I genuinely think he's at that level, but he's just
2: not had a car to be able to do it for some time. Um, yeah, to me, this feels like, until proven otherwise, this Nissan powertrain is the restrictor plate.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw it, we saw it multiple times throughout last season we would see both Nissans running, you know, up in the front, maybe in the top five. And they would just fade in the face of um, the Porsches, especially the Jags, and they would just fall away.
2: And on the same principle of I knew Alex Pillow was that dude before he even drove an IndyCar race, I knew Sasha Fenestraz was that dude before he even stepped foot in Formula E. This guy is that dude. This is the guy you want to build your future around. Uh, let's hope for better race results overall for Nissan because – you ain't got much else, else in motorsport going on because you have a GT500 program, a brand new GT4 customer program that you might get off the ground or you might not. And that's this.
0: I was going to say, like, Formula E doesn't get a young hotshot talent to build teams around in its series very often. So <laughs> Nissan should take full advantage of having Fenestraz in its ranks, how they do right now. Because having hot shots like that don't come along very often for this series, so they should take full, you know, full advantage of that, so to speak. um This is what I like to now move into what I like to call Tier Two, um or I like to call it the disappointment of last year, because Sasha was here last year when we made our predictions, and we, everybody except him, picked the Stalantis to win either the team or the drivers' title. We like, and right now we're all about to self-flagellate ourselves because we're into what I call the Stalantis section of this season preview. So uh, shame on me, shame on Cam, shame on RJ O'Connell, shame, shame, more shame. Bring the bell.
1: <laughs> Go on. We all <laughs> got fooled.
2: Look, we thought we were getting a Hellcat. We were, we were instead sold a Chrysler K car.
1: Oh yes. God, it is a LeBaron.
2: Yeah. No, but Ross. see, the thing is, though, the Chrysler K car was actually profitable.
1: <laughs> yeah, there, yeah.
2: Yeah. It wasn't it was, good no profit. it was profitable. There was there was money.
1: no suffering from success from the Stellantis group last year. There was simply suffering as the preseason promised went to, uh, well, nothing.
0: Not much. Maserati first. They were sixth last year. Another jump up in the points. 140 from them last year. They did get one win. That was Jakarta race two with Maxi Günther, who was let's let's remind everybody here was Cam's pick for the title last season, Um, (laughs) on their Maserati powertrain. There's been some changes. James Rossiter has mentioned gone, Um, which was a genuine shock when I heard that announced. I was like, what? Like Rossiter was. Universally, like, highly regarded in that form. And well liked, um, was popular with fans for being the handsome beefcake who embraced the LGBT community as well. We loved that for him by having the rainbow flag on the legend. Cover. Super GT legend. We liked James on this show a lot. And all of a sudden, bang, gone. um, After we were one and done as team principal at the team, he's gone. As mentioned, Edo Mortara, gone as well from the artists formerly known as Venturi. Um, in comes the, the series-only rookie in 2024, which is another one that caught me by surprise, um, as Jason points out. Johan de Ruvula, uh, the Formula 2 veteran, will be alongside Maxi gunfoot for next year. I think it's fair to say this time, folks, that um, we're not going to buy into the fool's goal on year two um, of uh, mm. the, the, the Stellantis wagon, so to speak. Um... <laughs> How do we feel about Maserati now,
2: dude? Uh, it's crazy because I was actually looking Dre through uh, through the races season preview, and no, and every one of their panel had Maserati's driver lineup eleventh out of eleventh. Did they really, really feel this down on Jahan Daruvala, who I think mm. is the greatest single seater prospect to ever come out of India? Yes. He became the Formula Two gatekeeper. Yes, he was the fourth year fun ruiner, but he's capable of winning races on his day.
1: Uh think But is he here? Because this is an entirely different ball game.
2: Yeah, that's the other thing too, is like Formulae is notoriously very hard to learn. But I was going to say as well, they've got Maxi Günther. They
0: don't need the Ruvula to hit to come out of the traps flying. Maxi is a great driver in this series, a, a proven race winner. Yeah, I high know, I picked him guy. for my
1: title pick last year.
0: Right, and uh, look, I didn't think it was an unreasonable pick. I think Maxi Gunther's a very talented guy in this series and a very high upside guy. I get it. You you don't need the Ruvula to come out of the traps flying. If Maxi Günther can deliver straight away, he can be your anchor. That's fine. I say second half,
1: I mean, other than London, second half, he was very solid, three podiums and a win, but man, in the first half, struggalicious.
3: I mean, look. I I think um, I think we were all disappointed by Maserati last season. And um, when, when you have a situation where drivers are getting involved in multiple unnecessary incidents and costing the team points, I, I, I know James Rossiter um, looked apoplectic towards the end um, of that string of that string of DNFs, but. So sometimes sometimes the atmosphere within a team or something that's going on externally can mess with a driver's psyche and, and- Obviously, Gunter and Mortara are both capable of causing their own trouble, but uh, the fact that they were doing it with such regularity suggested that something was going on that was destabilizing the team generally last season. Uh, James Rost has gone. I feel very bad for him because I think he did the best uh, with, um, with what was effectively a startup organization. I but I genuinely thought that uh, when you had the Venturi team that had uh, gone over and above expectations to be in the hunt for, for a couple of titles and you put that on top of um a, a investment from from an OEM and um a, and and a and a powertrain that was you know being being developed by um by by effectively DS and and by by DS Penske I thought that was a package that was going to be kind of Genuine gold. It turned out not to be. De Ruvula, um, I, I've I've not been a big Formula Two watcher. People who do watch it have t- told me that he's well deserving of that seat. And um, I can I, I gather from from the race what the reason why they were putting the Maserati lineup in eleventh was because they felt Deruvela would really struggle being the only Gen Three debutant, uh, except for De Vries. Obviously, the the thing is. If we don't support drivers coming into the series, then we, we can't complain when you get an F1 logjam situation and there's nothing mm-hmm. new to look at. So I, I think we do almost need to give the chance to new drivers because otherwise, um, how is there ever going to be a talent uh, um, ladder?
0: absolutely one you want to have a talent out of there and two like i said you don't get high profile f2 guys or other guys that were you know borderline f1 prospects coming to a series like this very often in an alternate universe you could have had you could have had alex albon in this series for for three or four years by now
2: Um, let's not forget as well nick devries was also the guy who was just like i've won the formula two championship nothing competitive for me in formula one's coming up i'm gonna try my hand formally why not you know, and that's that's the sort
0: of <laughs> driver that the series should be gunning to try and get. Um, So yeah, I, I'm I'm all for that essentially. So yeah, I, I I think it was harsh for the race to have Maserati as the eleventh best driver in the lineup because I think Maxi Gunfer is an ace, and I don't think there's very many of them in formulary. E, and Deruva doesn't have to be great straight away, and that's a big plus. There's a lot of kinks to iron out in that in, in that team, though, because we know they are capable of better than this, and we know as their previous outfits, they are a very strong team on paper. But we're not going to buy into that paper argument anymore after what happened in 2023. They now have to start proving it. Um, so hopefully that can continue. And I think it's a similar story across the garage for DS Penske. Who were next on my list? Here they were fifth last year, 163 points. They did win the one race in India with with Jev um, over there um, on the also the Maserati powertrain, of course, uh, or maybe a Bugatti, Bugatti, etc. As I as I joked in my notes. This was
1: part of the podcast out.
0: (laughs) This was the problem they had. This was the super team on paper. DS Pensky Stellantis powertrain looked great in testing. Arguably the best of, arguably I think it was the number one lineup on paper going into the sport last year with the you know reigning champion Stoffel Van Dorn joining John Eric Vern, arguably the best driver in Formula Re history, certainly in the top two or three I think on that list um, of just perennial big hitters in the series, and it just didn't come
1: together. And yet- your defending champion failed to get a t- a, f- a podium, only one top five on the year, and the only person who brought any hardware home was John Eric Vern. This was not the plan,
0: and in fact, if anything, their most high profile story was literal corporate espionage at Portland.
1: Oh uh, yeah, towards- they also <laughs> cheated, Brazen <laughs> died in the wool cheating. <laughs>
0: Yeah, blatantly cheated in Portland. Jev had to wipe a huge amount of egg off his face. As, remember, partial team owner of, of, of this DS Penske outfit. He had to uh, make up for his own highly embarrassing scandal in Portland when, hey, they were trying to play supermarket sweep with with tires in the pit line. Um, not ideal. Um None of none of their year was ideal in twenty twenty three. So again, where are we looking at DS Pensky now? Because um, Jay hasn't really got an excuse this time around now.
3: So um, I th- I think one th- one thing to mention because this this comes up every comes up every year is that uh, even though it's called DS Pensky, it's it's not directly associated in any way with uh, mm. the Pensky that does well. And
1: no, it's um, the Jay Pensky, not the Roger Pensky. <laughs> The fail songs, yeah. we've called they named them on this show before. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, and, and last last season, they did about as well as a uh, union between um, uh, the the uh, the, um, the embers of the DS to Ch- Cheetah team and uh, the angry owner of Rolling Stone, you would have thought would do. Um, I, they have actually built a super team, though. Uh, Stoffel and Jev, both excellent drivers, both um, have won titles and are capable of winning more. I, I would be very surprised if they would stick around in a team that didn't look like it was going to provide them with better equipment and resources than last season. And I, I hope that the melding of uh, the kind of brains trust from DS to Cheetah with uh, the former Dragon Penske organisation is is going to prove um, more of a good fit this season. Um I'd, I'd, I'd really like to see uh, more of the DS side and less the Penske side, if I'm honest, and then I think it might actually uh, help team cohesion quite a lot. Uh, I,
1: I uh, don't think anyone would disagree with your assessment there
3: no I, I think um a, a, allowing allowing don jr to be to to be to be behind the laptop with the headphones and occasionally shout at people if you know if, if that makes him happy then fine but i, I think w- what we need is um real racing expertise in there and i i, I was i was quite happy with uh, thomas Chevalier the guy who uh, he took over from but he's now moved upstairs at d s to to a wider um i think um uh road car role uh, or so It it was a mess last season, Um, and uh, frankly, Jeff doesn't mess about. I don't think Stoff does either after his McLaren experience, so Mm. they need to show them that they are providing for them.
2: I am stunned that Stoffel struggled this much because – he won the championship through relentless consistency. You cannot say that he was just the guy that emerged at the top of a of a twenty five man Royal Rumble like the year De freeze wanted. No,
1: yeah, this Stop. is that, that was a genuine meritocracy in the format, and it showed Stauffel's quality as as a driver. The weirder thing, when I look at the trace on Ds Pensky's year, right, mm-hmm. they start off very weakly. And then they get things going, and you think, okay, they've got something here. And then, yeah, at the come. end of the season, they completely collapsed.
0: Yeah, the Jaguars came through right at the end of the year, and um, they were
1: nowhere to be seen. Forget the Jaguars, straight, they were- they had cars outside the top ten.
3: Yeah, well, multiple
0: occasions. The, la-
1: the last, what, five races, one of their cars was guaranteed out of the top ten.
3: Yeah. I, in fact, I I think they were they were regulars in being out of Q one towards the end there, which is mm. uh, um, or, or uh, which which is obviously obviously not uh, sorry uh, not Q one out out of the out of the initial group stages. Sorry. So yeah, that's that's obviously not what you need. No, the,
0: this is a team that's won everything multiple times over with the drivers, the talent, and the infrastructure that they've had in this team. They are not here to finish in fifth and no, they were they, once they, the
1: death stars of this series
0: yeah they need a rocket up their ass and hopefully last year was that rocket because uh with what they had they should have won the championship and they didn't have the best powertrain. they had the best driver lineup um and their infrastructure wasn't good enough either and then they were caught they were caught with their pants down cheating so it all ended up bad this year. There was very little positive to take out of this year for Ds Pensky, besides the Hyderabad win. Um, Jeff still proved he's a top tier quality driver when he wants to be. He was in the title contending range for the first half of the year. But as the year went on, he faded completely as Cassidy Evans and Dennis took over. Um, so yeah, from, they need a good From the second season.
1: round in Jakarta onwards, one top five, no other points for Jeff. <laughs>
2: Oh one rough. other thing too. They may also have to skip the Berlin round because uh, they they're going to be asked to drive another Stellantis car. Whoops.
3: Yeah, hmm. and um well, I mean hopefully that Peugeot's got a rear wing this season. We'll we'll
1: see. Oh uh, uh, that thing needs a rear wing, a front wing, side pod wings, and all that might do not help.
3: And it, 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 it probably needs the combined, the combined might of the ACO, like it has at Le Mans last season as well.
1: Mm. <laughs> I love the, the, Put it away, R- RJ. Put R- it away. we
2: going to build it sometime, jeez.
0: Build, build <laughs> the damn Peugeot. Well, if, if you can't see, because using podcasts are not a visual medium in this case. God, RJ just flashed the... Peugeot 9X8 LeMond Lego set. It's a beautiful thing.
1: Whatever you do, RJ, when you're putting together the pieces of the hybrid system, be very careful and tell your significant other that you love her.
2: shout
0: not to blow Duval. <laughs> uh, about, like Duval. Should we get into the top four? Because the top four is what I like to call the elite contenders. Um, they were the big four in this series last year that were winning races, regularly challenging for wins and challenging for the title. First up for, for me, the team that had it all until they didn't, and it was the Takiwa Porsche team. Cover your ears, Cam. Um, oh, so I'm know, here. <laughs> fourth last season, 242 points, four wins on the year. They they won both in in uh, Diria, Jakarta Race 1 and Cape Town um, on their own, of course, Porsche powertrain. Now my first note in in here was quote no really will this be the year that Pascal Verline finally puts it all together
1: because there's you know there's a very good reason why my tagline much like Ryan Eric Kings during MotoGP season is Brad pass some fucking bikes. <laughs> For me it's Pascal Verline qualify the fucking car.
2: Right. This is crazy. None of his wins were for, 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 for pole. And if you have a problem, pass well, That's, that's kind of
1: <laughs> precisely the problem. Because far too often, and this did go a little bit with the Andretti team, but far more so with the factory, they had some of the best race pace pretty much every round. But way too often were they giving themselves a world of work to do by qualifying in the doldrums.
0: That was the story. You're not going to win a
1: lot of races that way.
0: Yeah, they, they just gave themselves too much work to do, and then all of a sudden, in the back half of the year, the Andretti team seemed to just discover more out of their powertrain, and Jake Dennis just racked up the points all throughout
1: was the just back much half. Much better in qualifying down the stretch.
0: Yeah, Dennis was up there, and Pascal Verlaine kept giving himself all the work in the world to do, and he couldn't do it. He was stretching the Porsche powertrain, which on paper was one of the best, if not the best in the field, but he had to keep taking away that conservation because he had to keep spending energy to overtake people. Um,
1: Yeah, started off hotter than fish grease. First four rounds, second, first, first, fourth. Then the retirement in Cape Town.
3: I think there, there was a genuine yeah. case to be made uh, looking at those early rounds that, uh, that that Porsche were just going to dominate this season, and there was almost no point in anyone else trying to produce a race ready powertrain because uh, they, they they just somehow had the alchemy of um, um, speed in qualifying and efficiency in the race, and nobody else could match them. And I, I think it's kind of astonishing when you look at how closely Cassidy with the Jaguar-powered Envision was able to run Jake Dennis, uh, g- given that early dominance. Um, but obviously, De- Dennis had his problems mid-season, and uh, but... Really, Verline should have should have been up there um, in the hunt alongside Dennis at the final race. Uh, I I don't think the Porsche Works team wanted to be you know asked by Andretti to be wingmen like like they were. I I don't think that was that's where not they the wanted aim of any
1: factory I, team now, is it?
3: Now in formula e obviously there are rules and if if you provide something to a customer you've you've got to provide equal equipment and you've got to prove it etc but um and there are advantages for you as a works team in providing to the customer but Porsche historically have always made a big point of providing machines to the customers that that can win and i think they'll probably take some pride from Dennis winning that title but i think there will be some embarrassment at them not quite having the team to uh, deliver verline the title Given that, given that he just looked so dominant in those early routes. And Tony Fillos
2: Costa was peaky last season, but you can tell baby. that he is a great driver because, man, a lot of Jota World Endurance Championship fans are not happy that he's not going to be coming back to the team this year. I
1: mean, <laughs> you look at the team as a whole, right? The first five <laughs> the first five uh, events, three wins, two more podiums and they just kept racking up a ton of points until the last about third of the season, they just they just tailed off on yeah, both they sides.
0: Off, they fell off a cliff. Look, look. Again, this they, is another team that has all the tools to be able to win. The Powertrain won a title, you know, or, or could have won a title. They've got the driving well, the Powertrain
1: talent. did win the title <laughs> yeah, in the back in the of the Jake Dennis' car. car.
0: Yeah, um, and they, they, won, they didn't win the Constructors title either because that went to InVision. Um, you know, so it's... Another it, customer team. Another customer team. So it's it's proof that they could win. They had all the tools and the tick boxes to be able to do this, but Pascal needs to get his qualifying pace in order and just maximize what he can over a lap. And DaCosta needs to discover what made him so dominant a few years ago because DaCosta can win a title. We've seen him win a title. get the floor up. Yeah, get like, the floor like, De up.
1: DaCosta's peak. Was I mean? He had a Golden Melon nomination. Yeah, he drove his ass off in both both of his uh, well, his win, his podiums. He clearly has speed, but n- not scoring in the final four rounds of the season. You're never gonna win a title doing that. Not never.
3: And I think Formula E badly needs Porsche to um, win a title at some point. Uh, And, you know, again, the Andretti win was effectively a Porsche win, but I think Formula E needs a works Porsche win because they really need the Porsche factory to throw their marketing might behind it because that that will float all boats with Formula E, that will raise all boats rather. Um, Also, Porsche have been the manufacturer for quite a while now who have been the most likely to jump ship potentially in the future so um I, I think if if porsche jumps from formula e along with all the other german manufacturers we've got a difficulty so uh yeah we we, we need porsche to continue doing well so and we need the, the works, we need the works team to win a title really
0: yeah um they were on the brink of quitting uh at the start of this, this time last year they did they have now committed to the rest of this generation of car at least which is good but now they're going to want to win. Now, if they're going to stick around, and uh, they've got all the potential to do so, but uh, can they finally put it all together this year? Speaking of which, um, it kind of did for their for their sister team along, alongside them with the Vandretti who were third in the team standards, but did have the drivers' champion, of course, in Jake Dennis. They were third overall, two hundred and fifty-two points, two wins on the year: Mexico City and Rome Race Two. Um, on again, the same Porsche powertrain we mentioned. Uh, Andre Lotzera is gone. Um, In comes Norman Nato in in, in the second seat. Um, Jake Dennis, obviously series champion, was incredibly consistent when he needed to be in the second half of last season. That's what got him that that clear championship win early doors in London. Um, Can he defend his title first and foremost? And can Andretti get a second driver for me that can actually put them in contention for the team's title as well, because that was the big problem. Lotterer was terrible last last season by, by comparison, and they need a solid second driver to maximize
2: their overall points haul. I have well, no qualms that Jake Dennis can compete for another championship. I know Norman Nato was good last year in a Nissan. Is he really the needle mover for a second driver that Andretti Global needs?
1: The bar was resting so low that I stubbed my toe because just about anything would be better than how Lauderer drove last year. Because it wasn't just the fact that Lauderer was slow. It's the fact that Lauder was messy. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, and- and- Andretti don't need two drivers to regularly snapping at each other's heels. What they do need is for the second driver to be able to back up Jake Dennis and help in the team standings. Um, the, one of the reasons that Dennis was crying out over the radio for Verline to provide him with help um, in blocking other cars in London was because... Andre Lotterer was not in a position to do that. Mm. Um, for, for whatever reason, Lotterer was not able to deliver any more in Formula E. And I that was definitely one season too many for him. Um, Norman Nato is a proven winner. Um, he's he's done okay. He's given a 7.5 5 out of 10 at every team he's been at. And he, he's, he's always been... He, he's always been around final qualifying, around the podium positions somewhere. Um, and I, I think when the going gets tough, they will appreciate have him, having him at the team. But Dennis is clearly the title contender and the one with the true speed there. The other thing I would say is... Very few things get me irritated like the Autosport top 50 drivers and Jake Dennis (coughs) was fucked. Jake Dennis was fucked by Autosport last year because there is no way that he was a worse driver than Nick Cassidy over the course of that season.
0: No. Um, thank you very much. I'm glad somebody else saw how I reacted to this last week. Because uh, when I found out they put Cassidy in the eight spot and Dennis in the nine spot, uh, my eyebrow almost went upside down in in, in frustration. <laughs> I'm so glad you said it, um, because um, I, if you weren't, I was going to. 100% agree with you on that one, Sasha. I was. Uh, you listened to last week, Show if You want to hey, see my
1: full reaction? that
2: it. they put Scott Nitson down at 18. Smother. <sighs>
1: I wasn't on that episode, but, uh... Well, you know why I wasn't on that episode. He was watching from a safe distance. My head head was hot.
0: Um, I was getting
1: getting new glasses watching from a safe distance. I'm seeing this shit in 8K now.
0: Yeah, yeah, look. There's not much for me to add that Sasha hasn't already said. Like, Dennis is their guy. He's a fantastic all-round driver. Can qualify well, can race extremely well. Bit of a hothead at times, but overall, um will get you an excellent result if the car is was working and he gets a smooth race a racing. little bit of a hothead head gene sometimes a little a little bit but i think it's fine <laughs> i don't think it affects his driving too much and i think that's the no, important we, we, we thing we get
1: fun sound bites from it but generally oh, yeah. yeah i mean he he practically won the title you know throughout the second half of the season by a still having plenty of performance in the pocket but also keeping his head cooler than the others involved in the title fight yeah. And to the other question that's posed in there of can they and the Porsche factory coexist? I think they need to.
0: Yeah. Because, because I they, think they would, fundamentally. They would
1: fin- yeah. I, and I think these two, these two entities need to make each other better. That's how they're going to continue to march towards more titles, sharing their data, supplying that equal equipment that you would hope would be capable of taking on uh, the challenge for race wins. And by collaborating against the other teams who also collaborate with their customer teams to make each other better.
0: Yeah, and there's no doubt about it. There is, they have a threat. You know, they were the favorites last season um, and they're probably the favorites going into this season. If preseason testing is anything to go by, especially given that the team we're going to get to next have kind of built a super team of their own. It's Jaguar. Um, it, they were second last year in the team's champs. their best ever season in Formula E. Two hundred and ninety two points, four wins on the year. Brazil, Rome, London, and Berlin race one. Um. And I love it, and I, I hope you didn't appreciate the joke in my notes where I says powertrain. It says Jaguar, and it's turbocharged, and
2: it's, and, and it's electrified too. Two of them. I, I you could wish. have fooled me. I almost had the shock of my life because I, <laughs> I was handling the uh, the attack charge in an irresponsible manner. Oh, uh, no. They just they just added Nick Cassidy to this team. I know we just talked <laughs> about like the controversy of like saying he's better than the former E champion. This dude's so good.
0: Yeah, like, and look, they have the best team in Formula E now. No questions asked. Mitch Evans has been a title contender for the last three years in Formula E, and is. I sit here as a Mitch Evans defender, going, "How have you not won one of these by now? Honestly, you're so good when
2: you want to be."
1: Uh, uh, like- in comes Sam Bird with a steel chair.
2: <laughs> oh, damn it! No, when I, I look don't. at Jaguar TCS racing As they are right now I think this is the vision that Ford had When they bought a controlling stake In Stewart at the turn of the century And they thought Jaguar Formula 1 That was going to be the, the hot ticket To dominate Formula 1 for years to come And then they just sold it to Red Bull For a dollar after <laughs> five years Of accomplishing almost nothing So what
1: you're saying is that They're about to sell this team To Red Bull and then 20 years from now they're going to get back and No,
2: fall. no, no, this is different because this Jaguar team is actually meeting on a lot of its expectation. It's not a colossal failure. Right? This, this it's like for them to win a championship, but this, this is going great.
0: to be the year. Surely this is the year they win something. You have an excellent Jaguar powertrain, arguably the best in the sport right now, You have two elite drivers, arguably the only team in the field that has two elite drivers with Cassidy and Evans, second and third in last year's championship in under one roof. And right now on current form, Cassidy is a massive upgrade on on Sam Bird.
1: (laughs) For Uh, the love of
0: God, how do you not win it this year? Or win something?
1: (laughs) if If you cut Envision in half and Jaguar in half, stick them together from last year they win the overall championship at a ridiculous canter
2: anecdotally i just think you know when we when we think everything should go to form it typically doesn't
3: especially with jaguar and um the the other thing to mention is that jaguar um jaguar have always added something to the team every season that's made it slightly better on paper and i i'm i'm aware that paper teams win paper cups but it, you you you're right, Dre. This this is the season where everything has to come together. Um, I, I I wrote in the notes before we started recording this that, that there were financial issues at Jaguar Land Rover that made it look difficult for them to stay in Formula E. That's not the case anymore. JLR is doing quite well. The new defenders doing well, etc. But um, the, uh, J- Jaguar itself badly needs some marketing pizzazz on its brand because uh, it. It it is not pulling in the big bucks in, in in that uh, in that parent company. Um, the the Jaguar team itself is probably the best thing about Jaguar the Mark right now. And um, yeah, the only thing I wrote in the notes for um, um, Evans and Cassidy was brilliant. They're a super team. They they've they've got along well from a young age. Uh, they're they're going to get along well next season. I'm pretty sure as long as they don't take each other out. Super and team. Um, yeah.
1: And yeah, exactly that, and that's just it is that you look at you look at jag and envision from last year and the peaks are very good even the middles are very good mm. they got to pull some of those retirements off the result sheet they do
0: but I think a lot of that again was Sam bird exactly and they haven't got that problem this year on paper and again as Sasha quite rightly points out this is all on paper. But there is no weakness in this team right now. None. On paper. Like they should. I, I think they've got a better driver lineup than Envision right now. I think they've got mm. the the leading powertrain in the sport. In testing, Mitch and Cassidy were the two fastest drivers in preseason testing as well. Now again, it's preseason testing. Take that with a pinch of salt. But it's like the New Zealand cricket team. They find ways to lose. Um, if you know, you know. Like, So how does Jaguar lose this World Cup on boundary countback is what I can't help but think in the back of my head because it's like it's like wacky races. Dick Darsidley never wins. And so it's in the same way that they will find ways to lose. So how do they lose this year?
1: The only <laughs> thing I can think of because even if i despise mitch evans over mexico a few years ago <laughs> it's still very quality nick cassidy is nothing but quality
0: pound for pound they're the two those best drivers two, in the
1: series those two hitting each other those two fighting is the only thing i can think of
2: they are and good but i think it's yeah.
1: a very and i think it's a very real possibility
2: they're, They're good the, mates, you know. but we'll see what happens when they get tested okay, because one okay, thing I know RJ. about RJ,
1: put the pump the brakes on that real quick. What friendship survive? what friendship survives a title fight?
2: Hamilton and Rosberg <laughs> did not. One thing I know about Nick Cassidy is that when you are on his good side, he will stick with you no matter what. If you get on his bad side, he will probably never ever forgive you for that.
0: We we heard is we heard how we got along with Brummy towards the end of his time and Envision together, and it was ugly
1: they got along it's news to me
0: <laughs> well got along is doing some heavy lifting so to speak they were, they
2: were in the we will get along" shirt the two people just stuck together in the same t-shirt <laughs> yeah so
0: w- let's talk about what who could be their contenders the reigning series champions and from a team standpoint envision racing had 304 points um last year Four wins, Portland, London Race 2, Monaco and Berlin Race 2 on the same Jaguar powertrain. Um, Nick Cassidy is gone, but they have brought in Robin Frynes, old, old buddy, un- Uncle Robin, has come back home to the Envision team um, to replace them in, in the end. They have a problem, as Sasha quite rightly pointed out earlier. Both drivers are almost certainly out of Berlin due to the Le Mans clash for the WEC. So neither Brains has BMW,
2: Miami yep. with Toyota.
0: Yeah. Um, so neither is going to have the series that's their top priority this year, quite frankly. Is that is that going to be a big problem? How big a problem is that going to be?
3: Well, it's not ideal, is it? Well, well Berlin's in fact... a double
0: header as well, which isn't going to help either. they have going to yeah. two you, races. You've yeah. effectively I, I mean, struck like...
1: two races out of their points total. From the start of the season.
3: So we've had this issue before with Boemi, in fact, uh, when he missed the New York e because of his Toyota commitments back then. And um, it, it just never works out. Um, the, the reason we have these clashes with WEC is not because um, anyone at the ACO is evil um, necessarily. Uh, it's it's just because, <coughs> yeah, uh, it's ju- it's just because Formula One is the golden cow that people keep milking, and it must expand to fill the entire calendar year. So, other forms of motorsport have to adapt around that because uh, the last thing you want for your form of motorsport. Is um, is is an F one clash, so you end up with a wet clash instead, and it, it's just unavoidable. But in Envision's case, it's causing them a real headache next season, and it's really difficult to see how you can psychologically take uh, what you hope is a title fight seriously when you know you're going to be, miss, be missing two two races, one race meeting. I, I just I just don't see how those drivers can go into the season thinking about that in that way.
2: This almost feels like <laughs> you could cynically look at this as like this is this is 2018's best f- Formula E super team in 2024. I don't think Robin Friends has fallen off that much, nice. despite him coming off of injury. He's still in his prime. He is still capable of being the lead driver. Is Sebastian Vettel still that second. guy?
0: Not sure.
3: <sighs> Sebastian Vettel is not still that guy, in my opinion. But uh, he he can still pull together a performance. Yeah. But uh, he's 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 not going to be the guy who takes the team to a title like like he was in the Gen One years. I, I think I think drivers change and drivers evolve and. I think what we're seeing is that his skill set is now more an endurance skill set. It's the same thing I said about Brendan Hartley, for example, um, in answer to a question on the Motion E Discord server as to why he wasn't as good in Formula E as he's been at Toyota. Um, with with Friens, I've got a bit more optimism because I... I Genuinely think there's there's crazy good speed in there, but uh, he needs the team around him that he trusts, and um, he needs he needs the powertrain to actually go and do it. I think um, there isn't a better place for him to be because it's his old team, and they've got the Jags now. Why not?
0: Right. But can they can they beat the Jaguar Super Team on on Mer alone? Especially given they're gonna lose two and they're gonna lose a whole doubleheader weekend in Berlin. That's gonna be a big. It might be too much of to, them to overcome.
1: Yeah, that's just that's such a, that's a situation where you need so much critical mass to try and tank that hit. That I mean, even if it doesn't matter, even if so much you know the Jaguars or the Porsches win in Berlin, all they need to do is just rack up <laughs> solid points. And that is devastating to Envision's uh, title chances. Hmm. Right.
3: And um, I, I don't know who they're going to put in that seat. I mean, uh, I, I gather they've, they've got people in mind, but uh, wh- whoever it is is not going to have the same level of performance. And, of course, you know, it's, it's a real bust for the driver's title.
2: Absolutely. And they're not the only team that's going to have this problem. Like, we're, we're going to have to be signing reserves like crazy.
1: Yeah, and there's, only got there's one. a better than zero chance where those guys are going to be Formula E or Gen 3 debutants, and they are not going to have the experience with the powertrain with the current regs, especially given you know we've got the attack charge coming in for some rounds, um, five out five, five of the weekends, and
2: basically and nine, Berlin is one of ten. them. Managers, hit Roberto Wett, Blett, Mary up on the WhatsApp.
1: Oh my! You're yeah. gonna have people just learning on the fly, and it's gonna be hard to score with enough good teams fighting at the front. So,
3: if if we take last season for example, um, it, Andre Lotterer was out for a race. In came David Beckman, um, one of my favorite racing driver names, by the way, and he's he's a, he's a, he's a good driver. Um, he's probably um, he's probably got more pace in him these days than Lotterer, but he wasn't able to learn the Gen Three in time
2: indeed and that is a problem what's scott speed doing these days Stop
1: uh, it's still being banned on iRacing <laughs> yeah um so what's ryan what, eric king doing these days good, good question he's a key in iRacing maybe alex polo will be
0: available for some some weekends um we'll have to oh, wait and no. see um as jace Sports out in the chat as well that um to be fair, Beckman is one of the few named reserves so far. That's very true. And also, Kiera says there's a reason Porsche won't let their drivers do the WEC this year. They want them to focus on the on on individual disciplines 100. percent And it makes sense. I I, I understand the perspective. Um, as race fans, I think we like the whole gentleman vibe of racing in multiple series, but practically it has problems um,
2: sometimes. And give your had Christopher, a call yeah especially <laughs> oh, when you consider it's got EV experience
1: oh my god we especially... just get the handsome brothers <laughs> will you uh, don't, <laughs> uh, and and the and the best fight on or off the track for 2024 goes to <laughs> okay
3: uh, by the handsome brothers i i mean the rallycross handsome brothers not the music handsome brothers obviously or the
2: slapshot handsome brothers rest in peace paul newman are we at the point where we have to where we should we even bother picking a champion yes yes i hope we-
1: i hope uh, my my pick for the champion is the friends we make along the way
0: <laughs> we all are- <laughs> you fucker
3: <laughs> fia fia stewards always win yeah, no yeah. no
1: they will not i will uh-huh. not let this happen
0: like uh, like <laughs> like, poor scott in the race control movie is probably the best of a bad bunch of these stewards we've talked mm. about in 2023 which is which kind of says it all really more than anything else right folks we have to pick a champion and a, and a team yes we do Uh, We have to avenge last year. We were all terrible at this, apart from Sasha, who actually was reasonable in picking Jaguar and Mitch Evans. So I think it's only fair that Sasha goes again and goes first this time. Who do you think will win the drivers and the team's uh, titles in Formula E this year, Sasha?
3: Well, given all we've been through... I think it's sensible at this stage. And, you know, bear in mind, we've had a year of Gen 3. We know what the uh, drivers look like. We know how the powertrains uh, perform, r- roughly. Mm. Um, and th- there there is kind of a limit on homologation and development and so on. So I think we are looking at, sensibly speaking, a title fight between Porsche and Jaguar. I think uh, within those teams, there isn't much to choose between any of the drivers. Um, it, it could be any of them. So I'm just going to point my finger at Pascal Verline for the driver's title and uh, Jaguar for the team's title.
0: I am going to... I vowed two years ago that I go would on. never pick go him on. again. P- go on, pick your fate. I can't not do it. Jaguar for the team's title, Mitch Evans for the driver's title. I think it's Mitch Evans' year. I really do. I I, I can't wait for the trapdoor to pull out from underneath me again. And I will thoroughly set myself on fire in the podcast uh, with a match and a stick if it doesn't work out this year. But I'm going to say Mitch Evans
2: uh i was feeling similar vibes i i also wanted i also think jaguar is going to win the team's championship and i also think that a driver from new zealand is going to win the driver's title but just as the contract to buy wcw said shane mcmahon instead of vince i think it is time for big trick nick cassidy to win his first formula e championship Cam. And actually back up that top ranking among Formula E drivers in the autosport top 50. <laughs> of course.
0: Cam, you're picking Pascal Verline, aren't you?
1: I am not. <laughs> Who are you picking? I do think Jag wins the team's title. <laughs> I think Jake Dennis will repeat.
0: Wow the the, pl- the plucky upstart Jake Dennis will retain the title so do what only Jeff has done and let's retain the Formula E championship.
2: And I would love to be proven wrong. I'd love for teams to make steps forward. I'd love to see Stellantis actually realize the potential in the Nissan power trains not stink this year.
1: Look, Run. I look at I look I look <laughs> at 11 podiums and a few wins and a couple non-scores that were not the man's fault. Okay. I just I really like the floor on Jake Dennis.
0: That's fair. That oh. that is fair. Jason will save them in his spreadsheet for this year, and God, God help, help us, us all, all. <laughs> when we get to July and we'll I figure out. I can't wait
1: for a fucking DS Pensky sweep of the first five rounds, just as vengeance <laughs> for last year.
0: And we all just look. Oh shit, Stellantis have arrived after all. God damn, we were all we were just a if year nothing, late to the
2: wagon. <laughs> if nothing else, it'll be tremendous content. Indeed,
3: Ollie. In 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 case you're in case you're wondering how often my takes my takes actually come true, there is still an article uh, nestling in the archives on my website. Um, is Max Gunter the driver of the decade?
1: Uh, ma- you may you may have gotten the first half right. You may have gotten the Max part right. <laughs>
0: wrong max um that might be a problem guys we're just about done here um we've had a couple of hours in the end it was a good it was a good time as ever um sash tell the people where they can find you one more time
3: (laughs) Okay, so you can find the website on motionracing.media. That'll have all the links there. Um, I'm on Mastodon. Yes, I'm still doing that thing, uh, and I'm also on X because uh, y- you can never truly pull anyone away from X, can you?
0: No, you can't. It's just it's just the way we do things around here. Like you, you, we've built brands and audiences and friends on there. You can't just do that all over again. It's hard.
3: Uh... So, so I I, sh- I should probably say where um, um, on X I'm the S Garlic on Mastodon on, I am uh, tech.lgbt. Oh, that dog. One six six. Let's go. Nice. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> that's
0: awesome. <laughs> that's the most brilliant random declaration I've ever heard on this show, and I've done nearly four hundred of these now. It's fantastic. <laughs>
2: brilliant. Four hundred. We're almost a five hundred, pal. Shit. We're almost a five hundred.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll be getting to that soon. Um, we might have to uh, start generating plans on the other podcast. We're planning to clone for that episode 500. More on that in March. Um, but uh, look, you can look forward to that one. But yes, Formula restarts this weekend, Saturday, uh, January 13th. Um, at Mexico City one of my favorite on the, on the former I always look forward to Mexico City always a good time so we'll have to sit back and enjoy that then and, and, and hope that DSP SP Penske doesn't run the entire field over we'll have to wait and see until then I've been Dre Harrison they've been Sasha Garnett Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connor we'll be back next week to review the Mexico City pre until then thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you soon sayonara
2: later y'all
1: Please God, just please qualify the car, Pascal.